Okay, so I asked you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Um, today we will be diving back into our study going through uh, Living in Babylon. It's the series that we uh, started several weeks ago. It feels like months ago now. Um, and we're going to be going back back there. We're going to be going off or going back to where we actually left off uh, in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be starting with verse 20. So if you recall, the last time I preached on Daniel, it was uh, the first 19 verses of Daniel chapter 9. And so we'll, we'll start right back where we left off with verse 20. As I mentioned earlier, it will be important for you to see the text as we study it this morning. So I encourage you to please turn in your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 9. As we begin reading this passage, as I read it for you here, I trust that you'll recall the message that I gave uh, several weeks ago when we first started this chapter. So now I'm going to read this uh, passage to you, these eight verses, and uh, just ask you to read along with me. I'm not asking you to, to read it um, uh, audibly, just read it along with me as we uh, dive into this passage here. So this is the word of the Lord, and this is Daniel um, writing here. In verse 20, the word says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the word of the Lord. Alright. So before we begin uh, and, and getting into diving into this passage a bit more, I just want us to take a moment to reflect on the book of Daniel as a whole, okay? The way we've been studying it over the last several months. So we're going to... We are working! All right! Welcome! It's great to be here. Uh, so, does anyone recall... I'm going to get uh, interactive here. Does anyone recall... The overall theme of the study here that we've been going through here in the book of Daniel. The theme that Greg started us out with here several weeks, if not months ago. Go back and look through your notes. Oh man. 
Did you get Sherry? God is in control. Amen. The theme that we've been using to, as we've been, and as we've been seeing over and over again here in this uh, book of Daniel is contrary to appearances, God is in control and he calls his people to live faithfully where he has put them. In our study of this book in Daniel, we have observed nearly 70 years of Daniel's life in exile, many, many miles away from his home country, Judah. The Babylonian Empire tried to strip Daniel of his heritage, of his culture, and and really of his God. Okay, remember that? But as we've seen over and over again, they failed miserably. They could not take Daniel's heritage, his culture, literally Jerusalem. They could not get get it out of Daniel. Daniel remained a citizen of Judah at heart, and ultimately a faithful servant of the Most High, the living God. Remember that name for the Lord used throughout this book? The living God. Daniel was living in a pagan culture, a pagan society, worshiping gods that were not real. They were dead. They were not alive. God is the living God. And Nebuchadnezzar came to realize that. And even as, we, as we've seen in, in Daniel chapter 6, Darius, the king of Persia, when they came along, also came to realize that. God is the living God, the only God. He was a faithful servant of the Most High, the living God. Daniel didn't need to be in the comfort of home in Judah in order to serve God. God was right there with him where he was, even in the midst of an extremely pagan cultures of Babylon and eventually Persia. Daniel chose to remain faithful to God regardless of the cost. In Daniel's case, God chose to bless Daniel's faithfulness by revealing multiple times, as we've seen, that he was in control of every situation and ultimately the one behind the exile. Behind the exile out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. Yes, okay, God did speak directly uh, to Daniel with dreams and visions. He did have that. But Daniel also learned about God's plan by studying scripture. Remember, he was back, as we looked at this uh, several weeks ago, Daniel was studying in Jeremiah. And he saw that God had laid out a plan, even in Jeremiah's prophecy. Okay? So he was studying scripture. The best part is, we have access to that very same scripture. We have access to that today. And not only do we have access to what Daniel studied, Daniel himself wrote down his experiences and his visions for our benefit so we could learn from him, right? We know that God has control of what is going on today in our lives by reading and seeing how he had control of what was going on in Daniel's life, in Daniel's time. This was written for our encouragement and that we would strive to be faithful to God whatever the circumstance, whatever the cost. So how are we encouraged by reading Daniel? Well, ultimately, as we're going to see today, we see that God has and is working a plan for his people. He has and is working a plan for his people. Okay, so let's now take a dive into the text that we just read here in in chapter 9, starting with verse 20. And this brings us to our first point um, for this morning. We'll go back. So we've got the title there, A Prophetic Answer to Prayer. You're going to see that here as we uh, dive into this. So the first point here that I want to uh, mention 
is that God hears and answers our prayers. God hears and answers our prayers. It is so important for us to get that. Okay? This is so important. So in verse 20, we see that Daniel was in deep prayer and confession. Right? He says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel. So he's, he's confessing both his sin, his personal sin, and also the sin of his country, of his nation, of his people. Right? He's crying out to God for the redemption of Israel. Confessing their sin, asking for forgiveness, and then also asking for God to redeem them. To bring them back to the place that they were. The great country of Israel, the great country of Judah, right? He wants, to bring them, he wants God to bring them back. You guys recall what Daniel was reading that prompted him to pray about this. Remember we studied this back when, we, when I first preached on Daniel 9. He was reading through the book of Jeremiah. Right? Actually, and I, I really think he was reading through Jeremiah chapter 25. Okay. He, uh, it says, uh, talking about how he had, um, ver- actually, sorry, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, he mentions that he, re- he realized, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, that 70 years must pass before the, des- the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. 70 years. Where was he getting that? He was getting that from Jeremiah chapter 25. And this is what prompted him to pray. I'm just bringing this back for, so for us to be able to recall why Daniel is praying and what he's getting at here um, in the verse 20. Okay, so ver- chapter um, Jeremiah 25, beginning with verse 8, says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Did you catch that? Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant. Even unbeknownst to Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> He's God's servant. And I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all of these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish them from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste, referring to Babylon. So Daniel's reading that and he's going, no, wait a minute. Remember, remember this? We, we studied this a few weeks ago, several weeks ago. Daniel is reading this and going, whoa, wait a minute. I've, I've been in Babylon for probably about 66 years. We're getting close to that 70th year. In fact, Daniel 9 verse 1, the year that Daniel's writing about this and praying is the first year of Darius, of the king of Persia, the, Medo- the Medo-Persian Empire, right? So what has happened? Just prior, Belshazzar was killed by this king, right? Remember back in Daniel chapter 5, where Belshazzar was having his party and came in and destroyed Babylon. So Daniel has seen, as he's been reading through Jeremiah, he's seeing, oh, the king of Babylon died. We're getting close to this 70 years. If not, if it's, if it's not already happened, we're getting close to this 70 years of the end. So he's praying 
for the end of the exile to come, right? That's what he was praying here in uh, Daniel 9, verses 4 through 19. And not only praying for the end of the exile, he's praying for the redemption of his people, okay? So we have to keep that in mind when we are reading these next few verses of Scripture. He has in mind the 70 years and the redemption of his people. So verse 21 while Daniel is praying, he gets a visitor. Okay? We have the arrival of a messenger. So while Daniel is praying for his people's redemption, the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel. Now Daniel knows that this is Gabriel because he's seen him before in previous visions, uh, specifically uh, one that happened back in chapter 8. And I don't have time to get into that today, uh, but I encourage you, if you want to go back and look at that, um, look at that. We did um, preach on that um, a while ago as well. The angel Gabriel appears to him, and specifically, Daniel writes down, at the time of the evening sacrifice, this is literally 3 o'clock in the afternoon, is when Gabriel comes. Okay? The time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel also says, I love this part, this is so cool to me. Daniel also says that Gabriel came to him in swift flight. So somehow Daniel knew that Gabriel was in a hurry. He was in a rush to get to Daniel, to get there quickly. I don't know how you can tell that an angel is moving quickly uh, when they appear, but somehow Daniel knew that, okay? And he wrote it down. So Gabriel was in a rush to get, to come to Daniel. And we're going to see here why he appeared to Daniel, why he came. Verses 22 through 23, Daniel explains why he has come, why he is here uh, and made his appearance with Daniel here. He says, O Daniel, this is verse 22, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. This is in direct response to the prayer that Daniel was praying here earlier in chapter 9. I have come to give you insight and understanding. Those words are crucial for us when we consider the following verses that we're going to get into here. Insight and understanding. To give Daniel insight and understanding. And he goes on to say, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. So Gabriel, what he's saying here is he was commanded by God. As soon as Daniel started praying, before any words came out, he was commanded by God to go and give an answer, to give this answer to Daniel, for his, uh, and to the answer to this prayer. As soon as he started praying. And why did he do this? It says, for you are greatly loved. God loves his people. You are greatly loved. Okay, so an interesting thought here, I just want us to think about as we're considering this passage. I don't know if I necessarily have the answer to this, but I think it's interesting for us to consider. Would Daniel have received this answer to prayer? I'm sorry. If, would Daniel have received this answer if he had not prayed? Would this have been revealed to Daniel had he not prayed? Now, I don't know, maybe. I mean, God chooses to reveal things the way he wants to reveal them, so he could have worked outside of Daniel's not praying to pray, but Daniel was a prayer warrior. Daniel prayed, and God chose to answer his prayer in this way. Genuine prayer and pleading to God the way Daniel was. I mean, he was on his knees. He was crying out to God for redemption. Genuine prayer and pleading to God is important for us. It's important 
Because it puts us in a position and a mindset for hearing the word of God and responding submissively to his answer. When you are in genuine prayer like Daniel was, you are ready to hear the answer. And in some cases, we may not like it. I don't think, I'm not sure Daniel liked this answer until he thought about it some more and considered it, right? We'll get into that here in a minute. But I want to make the point here is that genuine prayer, when you're on your knees and you're crying out to God, it puts you in a mindset to submit to his, whatever his answer is. Now, I think it's interesting and it's encouraging for us is that, that Daniel, I'm sorry, Gabriel had arrived to give Daniel this answer as quickly as possible. This is encouraging for us because it shows us two things, okay? The first thing is that God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers even as soon as we begin praying them, okay? And he knows our thoughts and our desires, Psalm 139 verse 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knew exactly what Daniel was going to pray before he started praying it. And he had an answer to give him. Okay? God hears our prayers. You need to hear that today. God hears your prayers. The second thing is that God answers our prayers. Sometimes, many times, we are tempted to believe that he doesn't. Or sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers. Guys, that is a lie. God answers our prayers. The answer that he gives may not be exactly what we want to hear. We may not like it. But that doesn't mean he did not answer. He just didn't answer it in the way that I wanted him to answer it. You can be tempted to believe that God has ignored you. That is a dangerous place to be. I don't want you to think that. You do not. That is a lie. God has not ignored you. He hears your prayers and he answers them. They just may not be the answer that we want. There are typically three answers that God gives to prayer. The first answer and the answer that we all love and enjoy is the answer yes. When God says yes and answers your prayer the way that you have asked him to to, uh, to answer it. And that's an encouragement for us because typically when, not typically, always, when God answers with yes, it's because we've been praying within his will. We have been praying within his will. And that should always be the challenge for us when we're praying is to pray within his will. Another answer, the second answer that we get, and a difficult one, but sometimes it's nice to know that we got it, is the answer no. When God says, no, that's not intended for you. That's a difficult one, but at least we know that he said no, right? The third one, I think, is the most difficult answer to receive, and that's wait. Hang on. I've got a plan. Wait. And as we'll see in these next few verses, I think that's essentially what God, how God answered Daniel. Okay, in these next four verses was wait I have a plan. Sometimes the answer we get, especially this wait answer, is a, uh, it, it does, it, it's not exactly the way we had planned it to be. It's not what we wanted, or maybe it is what we wanted, just in a different way, or uh, it, it, it's so wildly outrageous that we could have never come up with that anyway before. And I think that's what Daniel 
is going to see here is like, where did that come from? Wait, I have a plan. All right, so let's see what Gabriel brings to Daniel as God's answer to his prayer. The next point here is that God's answer to Daniel's prayer reveals his plan for redemption. God's answer to Daniel's prayer reveals his plan, God's plan, for redemption. So if, if you didn't realize it while I was reading the passage earlier, and reading these four verses here, verses 24 through 27, I want you to know that these four verses are probably one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. Even last night, late last night, I was wrestling with, do I really believe what I'm about to preach? I mean, does, does, is this really exactly what it is? I was struggling. I was going back and forth on whether or not um, I had to say what I wanted to say. And I'm going to say what I, what I have to say to say it today. At times, I felt like um, that in order to, to present this accurately to you and, and to really give you the most clear answer possible, I should have done exegetical studies on um, Leviticus, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Matthew, Romans, First and Second Thessalonians, Revelation, really the whole Bible. I probably should have just done an ex- exegesis of all of Scripture, right? That's what I feel like I should have done, but honestly, I didn't have time for that, so I didn't do that, okay? But I have read through several uh, commentators, I have, scholars have studied this, and I'll tell you, almost every single one that I studied and read through, who have done exegetical studies on Scripture m- many more times over than I have, still come to different conclusions on what this passage has to say. So I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good company, because what I'm about to share with you is just one of the many interpretations of this passage, okay? But my prayer is that even though I might be presenting something to you today that you disagree with, and that's okay if you do because there are other pastors and scholars that I highly respect that disagree with what I'm about to say. Um, And there are some that agree with me. But uh, uh, I want to encourage you today, and my prayer is that if this is, even if this, if this is the first time you've gone through these four verses or um, the umpteenth time and, you've, and you have an idea of what you think it means, my prayer is that this would bring some clarity um, or at least help you think some more about this passage to just consider. And I think it's interesting that Gabriel tells Daniel to consider the word and understand the vision. Consider means you've you got to mull over this. Think about it. This is... Even though he says he brings it for insight and understanding, Daniel still has to consider it and to think about it. So I think we are called um, to do that as well. So, some things that I want us to consider before we dive too deep into these next four verses, and I am going to go over, so I'm sorry, Charlie. I know I did last time, and it's probably going to happen again. But I want to make sure that um, we talk about some of the things that, that are mentioned here in this passage. To help me make the point that I want to make here, can somebody tell me what are the three most important things when considering buying a house? What are the three most important things you need to think about when you're buying a house? Location, location, location. Location. Those are the three things, right? Charlie was here in the first service, so uh, he, he already, he knows. 
Likewise, when studying Scripture, there are three things that we need to consider. The most important things we need to consider when we're studying Scripture, especially hard things in Scripture. Context, context, and context. First, these verses do not stand alone on their own. Right? They are not separate. They are in direct response to a prayer that Daniel has prayed. This is an answer. So that's how they are intended to be read. They are an answer from Daniel's prayer from verses 4 to 19. And we talked about it earlier. What was Daniel praying for? He was praying for the redemption of Israel, of his people, and for God's holy city, Jerusalem. Okay? And we talked about how the exile to Babylon would last 70 years. He has that in his mind, in the back of his mind, as he's praying through this passage, or uh, praying through this. Right? So all of this points us to the fact that we must first consider the perspective of Daniel when we're reading this, these four verses. What, was Dan, what did Daniel have in his mind when this was revealed to him? This answer, this, uh, the intended audience here for these four verses was Daniel. So we have to consider his perspective first. Now, what information did he have access to prior to receiving this? Right? Daniel, throughout the first eight chapters of Daniel, we see that he was very well versed in Scripture. Right? He knew the things he was supposed to adhere to and how he was supposed to pray. We see that he was a man of God and he resolved to not defile himself like the Babylonians were asking him to do. He had a very clear understanding from much of the Torah, especially Deuteronomy and Leviticus and the writings of King David and King Solomon. Okay, so he had all of that. So we need to keep that in mind, which is why I should have, I feel like I should have done an exegetical study of all those um, books. But we must also attempt to understand these verses not only within the context of Daniel's perspective, but also within the context of the rest of Scripture. Right? We have a unique perspective in having the entire revealed word of God right here. Okay? So we should not take four verses and try to create or to try to understand all of theology from just four verses. We need to understand theology, understand God from all of scripture and looking at that through uh, looking at these four verses through that lens, taking all of scripture. Okay? That helps us understand the difficult things. The plain things are the main things. And these difficult things we take in context with the rest of Scripture to understand. Some other things that I want us to remember is 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul is telling Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There were many times when I looked at this and I said, Okay, I'm just going to skip this and we're going to move on. We're going to talk about it just a tiny bit and then move on. But I, I don't, I think, well, all scripture, according to this, is profitable for teaching and for correction and training in righteousness. Additionally, in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36, we also need to consider these uh, verses, I think, as well, just as kind of like the, as a, as a backdrop as we're thinking about this passage Paul beautifully pulls together passages from Isaiah and Job to describe the mind of God. Okay. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments 
and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So, I don't use that passage as a cop-out to say, okay, we're just going to trust God and let it be and let it go. No, I use that as a reminder of even if we don't come away from this satisfied with a complete understanding, we still know that God is in control. And God, God's mind is outside of anything or everything that we could all put together, if that makes sense. Who can understand the depth and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God? Okay. So I've, I've given us kind of the foundation here to dive into this and to think critically about this. There are three general ways that scholars have interpreted this passage, okay, these next four verses here. The first is that uh, you read, it, read this passage from today's perspective, and from today's perspective, all of these things that Daniel is being um, told is all history. All of this has happened already, okay? That's one perspective. A second perspective is that this is all future. Even according to, obviously according to Daniel, this is future. Um, but uh, even for us, all, this is all future. None of this has happened yet. That's a second view. The third view is that um, some of this has happened or all of this has happened, but yet some is still to come. Or yet still, is it, there are things to happen. And that's generally three different um, interpretations. There are many, many, many others. But generally, this is how they kind of categorize together. Okay, And you'll see as we get through this, uh, I fall into the third, uh, that third category, is that some of this or all of this has happened, but yet there's still more that has to happen. Okay? All right. So in verse 24, Daniel is introduced to a timetable. Gabriel says, 70 weeks are decreed, about your people and your holy city. Okay, 70 weeks. This uh, phrase literally is, uh, is 70 sevens. That's the way it's, it's read here. 70 sevens. Or these 70 weeks are 70 weeks of years. So when you think about a week, you think of it as uh, seven things in the week, seven days. Well, in this case, talking about years. So you have seven years in a week of years. And then there's 70 of those. So if you were to take this absolutely literally, it would say 490 years. That's one interpretation of this. Um, but if you look at it from the, if this, there are 70 sevens, and you think about the mindset that Daniel had when he was praying, he's thinking about 70 years. The end of the 70th year is coming because uh, the Babylonian king has just died, and he's going to usher in the, the um, redemption of Israel according to what Jeremiah said. But if we look at Matthew 18, and you think about how Jesus was talking to Peter about forgiveness, Peter asked the Lord, how many times should I forgive a man? Should I forgive him seven times? Is that enough? And Jesus said, no, you forgive him 70 times seven. He wasn't telling Peter a specific number of times to forgive. He was telling Peter, the mindset there was, you are to forgive and forgive, and forgive until the end. Until there's been completion. Okay, so my perspective, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay because you'd be in good company. 
My perspective is that this is not necessarily a literal number of years. Even though, as we're going to see, it kind of almost works out to those number of years if you were to look at the literal timetable. But the general mindset, Daniel, is thinking in 70 years, God says, no, you're not gonna be, it's not going to be done right at 70 years. There is going to be an end to this exile, but I've got way more to do. 70 times 7. I've got way more to do. Verse 24 also reveals six goals that were to be accomplished in these 77s, in this timetable that God has put in front of Daniel. Okay, There are six goals of things that need to be accomplished. They are, in order here, that's listed here in verse 24, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, the disagreement starts right here with this verse. Uh, the, there's the mindset that, well, uh, all of this has been accomplished. All of these goals have been accomplished. Or, well, they really haven't been accomplished fully. They haven't been. That's where the disagreement kind of lies. But if you were to look at that, and knowing your New Testament, uh, having your New Testament understanding, were these six goals accomplished? Have these six goals been accomplished? My argument is, yes, they have been accomplished. Jesus Christ accomplished these six goals. Now, he accomplished them with his death and resurrection. Death on the cross and resurrection. Now, you look at this, and, you, and, and even in the, the context of the rest of the few verses here, you, you start to think, well, okay, yeah, he accomplished it, but has it really been finalized in our, in our lifetime? Has it, is it really reality? Really, really real, right? Um, and the answer to that is, okay, well, not quite. He hasn't f- fully, finally put in a complete end to sin. Even though his death on the cross was the death blow to sin and giving us life through him, there will be a day when there is no more sin ever, ever, ever. So yes, Jesus accomplished this, but there is still more that has to take place. I told you you weren't going to be satisfied. All right, verses 25 through 27. At this point, I love how God does this. Um, he gives us a timetable, and, and it's, I think it's intended to be, this is a general, I've got, this is my plan for after the exile, and this is my plan for the rest of humanity. God says, okay, but there's three stages that this is going to happen. He breaks it down into three different stages. There's a, there's a period of seven sevens, seven weeks. Then there's a period of 62 weeks. And then there's one last week. Or one last seven. Okay? That first period that he mentions here, or that, that's mentioned here in verse 25, says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. This is the uh, revealing that to Daniel that yes, Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. There will be a period, a period of time where the temple is going to be rebuilt. Jerusalem is going to come back to where it was and um, it's going to happen. But then at some point, a Messiah will come. The Messiah will come. And that's the Lord Jesus. 
after those 62 weeks. And so we have, and, and, and if you look at it, in Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 36, verses 22 through 23, we see that here it's revealed that um, this period of exile ends with this, within this first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, which is also this very, this very same year where Daniel was praying. Second Chronicles chapter 36, starting with verse 22, says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So, for the way I interpret this, this is the beginning of the 77s. It's the end of the exile and the beginning of the 77s. And then we see over these, within the next 62 weeks, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes. And then after the 62 weeks, we get into verse 26 and 27. And these verses are the most difficult verses within just these four verses that we're going to look at here. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. When we read that, we look at that, okay, that sounds like Jesus. He's been cut off, he'll have nothing. Nobody um, wanted anything to do with him because he was crucified. He'll be cut off. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. When you read these two verses. The, where, this is where some of the differences come with interpretation as well. Is that some want to read 26 and 27 in a linear fashion. 27 comes after 26. These are sequentially things that happen chronologically. Okay. The other interpretation and where I think I stand on this is that these two verses are meant to be read in parallel. 26 and 27. 27 is a recapitulation of verse 26. It's a restatement of things that are to happen in verse 20 and that happens in verse 26. This third and final week ushered in by uh, the, or the, not final week, but the third and final phase here, this last week, is ushered in by the death of Jesus and the death of, and the ushering in of the new covenant. It says here in verse 27, and on the wing of abominations, on the wing of abominations, that phrase is very difficult to understand but if you when you what it really means is that the on the most extreme abomination to take place this on the wing of abominations the most extreme 
what is the worst abomination that has ever happened? I think we don't typically think of it this way. And we think of it too lightly. The death of God's son was an abomination. The Jews did not recognize him for who he was. They rejected him and they killed him. They turned him over to Gentiles and had him killed. And so when I read this, we see the death of Jesus as an abomination. And what this does is, and Jesus mentions it in his, um, and when he's um, speaking with his disciples there at the Last Supper, and it's also mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting with verse 31, is this ushering in of a new covenant. Jesus says this is the new covenant. And what does it do? It ends the Abrahamic covenant. Where does God reside today? Where does God reside? He resides within us. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul mentions that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? There isn't a temple physically where God resides. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple? the veil separating the people from the most holy place tore from top to bottom a symbolic reference that God is now with the people. That would have been a desolation, a, 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 an abomination for the Jews at that point to see the most holy place. And it happened. Jesus' death ushered in the new covenant. And the building of his temple with his people. It's not just the Jews. It includes us. Okay, so the hard part about this passage is that as we're reading it, as you, as you, as you look at it, it has, there are parts about it that, that feel like, as, you, as we've seen, have already been fulfilled, but yet there is still much more that needs to be fulfilled. There are phrases like desolations, are decreed, or its end shall come with a flood, or until the decreed end. This has a very apocalyptic sound to it when you're reading this. Okay? So, I think it's safe to say that there is still more to come with this prophecy. It's difficult to understand the specifics of this passage, but the point that Daniel needed to know was that God had a much larger plan for redemption than just bringing Israel back to its state of being and rebuilding and redeeming Jerusalem. There was much more that God had planned. Okay. Interestingly enough, this all points to Jesus and all of the events surrounding his first coming and quite possibly his second coming, which we know is going to come. So ultimately... This answer was probably very difficult for Daniel to hear. Probably uh, um, because generally this passage does describe the rebuilding of the holy city, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and the coming of the Messiah, but only to have the Jews kill him. The people of the prince. 
the people of the Messiah. Reject him and kill him, only to send off another desolation more final than the first and ushering in the age of the new covenant, including Gentiles. In, in essence, God's answer to Daniel's prayer was, wait, there's more. Okay, And that more is Jesus and the opportunity for life and redemption through him. Remember the goals that God laid out, that, that was laid out here in verse 24. There were six, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. This was accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but there's still yet more to be consummated. Jesus is going to bring it to completion. I just want to finish here with Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 22. This is Peter um, preaching at the Sermon on the Mount. Or, I'm sorry, wow, yeah, right. Uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. I told you guys would disagree with me. Um, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, where uh, the Holy Spirit has filled them. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So this plan that's been revealed, it isn't just a plan to redeem Israel. It's a plan to redeem humanity. And Daniel's prayer is, a covenant, is in a covenantal context. And so likewise, God's answer is covenantal. The new covenant with Christ's blood. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today's um, passage, this tough passage of scripture. Lord, we know that there are still, uh, it feels like there are still more things to come when we study this word. Uh, it sounds uh, very apocalyptic, eschatological, and we just, uh, we just uh, thank you for revealing it to us that we might uh, have insight and understanding, uh, just like what you were to, to give Daniel. I'm sure it was a difficult word for him to hear, um, because at first you see that there is, uh, there, there is going to be the redemption of Israel to a point, but there was more to come, and they would reject you. They would reject you ultimately, and that would usher in the new covenant. Jesus' death and resurrection would usher in the new covenant for all of us to come to know you and have a relationship with you. And someday, there will be an end to sin. There will be an end to transgression. And we will live in everlasting righteousness. Father, I thank you for that truth. And we just thank you for your word this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.